back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome to the MVP Cast, brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. If you like the podcast, of course, please hit the subscribe button. And if you can, please do leave us a review. It makes a massive, massive difference. And don't forget as well, our new post-up newsletter, lots of exclusive news and features right into your inbox. If you want to subscribe to that, head to our website at mvp 24 7 Com. Now, I guess this time is one of the BBL's top point guards, top playmakers. He was once a rocket, then a raider. Now he's been high-flying in Bristol this term. He is the Aussie assassin. Let's say good day to Josh Wilshire. Josh, welcome to the MVP cast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to chat. Hi, um, first and foremost, an odd season. How's it been for you? Yeah, I mean, it is odd, so it's probably never going to be another season like it. Well, hopefully, I guess, but... It's been up and down, you know, like I've been injured early on and then coming back and playing. So starting to find my feet a little bit more now. But um, I guess, you know, you go through all that stuff and come back from injury and there's only a month left of the season. So it's gone very quick, really. How is it? Um, I mean, let's talk about the team briefly first. I mean, it's it's an unusual lineup because they're two great pickups during the, the course of the season, Teddy Okorafer and, and Ben Mockford. I mean, it's really a three-guard lineup. I mean, it worked quite well for GB, as we saw a few weeks ago. But what's it what's it been like for you playing with such sort of two high-caliber guards? Yeah, well, I've played, I played with Ben, I think, my first year in Plymouth, um, briefly. I think he came in a little bit later then as well. So... Um, I sort of knew him before playing with Teddy. Obviously, I've never I've, I've seen him play for the Great Britain stuff, but I've never played with him, obviously. So um, I think the beauty of it is that we're all sort of different. You know, Ben's sort of a off the move shooter. Teddy's a pass first creator. And then I can shoot a little bit and create a little bit. So we sort of complement each other. So I think Ben's been injured the last couple of games. And and when I first got back, I was backing up Teddy. So I haven't really played with them too much on the court, but I think that's a plan going forward is to try and, I guess, toss the line up a little bit where you can you can be real versatile in the guard spot. So it's exciting if we can if we can get it all together. How much has that affected you? I mean, having had the injury, but obviously there's been shutdowns. You guys have had you know outbreaks, etc. You know, you're trying to get into that rhythm, particularly when you're playing point guard, and obviously you want to learn really how everything should work together and where you know, players will fit together on the court. That's kind of part of your job. I mean. How, how, how much of a challenge has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult because when I got injured, it was basically the start of preseason, you know, so I didn't really have a chance. And and I've signed for a new team as well. So you think in preseason, you get to know everyone, you get to know how they play. But I sort of skipped that part and then I come back and we've got a whole different team to what when I left, you know, what happened. So um, it's sort of just learning on the fly. And luckily, I guess, with the BBR, you... I mean, you're playing two games a week, sometimes three games a week. So I've got uh, sort of a quick time span to turn around and sort of get to know everyone. But it seems like the last six or so games now that I've played, it, it's sort of each game I've got a little bit more comfortable with the guys. So it seems to be going in the right direction, which is a positive. Your big birthday last month, turned 30. Um, how did you celebrate? Oh, <laughs> you didn't do much, did I? I sort of sat down <laughs> Yeah, not much I can do. I think I had a glass of water up, but that's that's about it. 
that must have been very, I mean, I remember my 30th, you know, hard a part of a, a bar, you know, big night out. I mean, is there a bit of you that's thinking, okay, well, I'm going to postpone the party till later on? Yeah, I could do, actually. I might have, I might have my friends because they'll be able to come out with me. But over here, fortunately, I just got to and put a good Netflix show on to celebrate, I think. <laughs> um, how would you rate your last decade? I mean, it's, you know, it's always these philosophical points when we reach these livestone or um, milestones in, in life. You know, what's the last 10 years been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it sort of started weird because I was hit at the start of the sort of coming back from injury at the end of the decade. So sort of come full circle, but it's, it's, it's been good. I've got to experience a lot, obviously in the BBL and, and got to accomplish a lot back home. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think I'd really change it for anything because I've got to travel the world and, and play a game for a living. So I think that's, that's a pretty fortunate lifestyle. I mean, I see you're a Melbourne lad and you know, you're a product of, of the Australian system that we, we all admire greatly and would, would love to try and replicate in, in the UK. I mean, give us from a, a junior development level, Give us a flavour of your education in basketball. I think, um, like, I've been over here enough to see how it all works over here, and it's it's just a completely different world back home. You know, we have, I guess, when I was a junior, so from, like, 10 to 18, maybe even younger, maybe 9 or nine or 8 to 18, you're sort of in a club system where you're training two to three times a week and you play each each Friday night and and Melbourne's small enough where you get a different flavor of competition every week, you know? So sort of like, if you got to, if you got to travel it, it, it takes a long time to verse someone because you've got, you've got to go the whole country. Whereas we're fortunate enough, you go 45 minutes each way and you're, you're playing a whole different level of caliber of play. So I think back home, we just sort of take the, the junior stuff really serious in developing. I think we have a, a good base of developing, um, players whether it be nba whether it be pro guys whether it be nbl so for whatever reason i think our junior nations are really set up to, to help players and i think i think england's getting to that point where they're sort of producing some good talent and and and, and scotland obviously so it's just weird because i think back home we put a real emphasis on the early years in trying to produce some talent so hopefully that sort of comes over here how much of that is is driven by culture in terms of the sport from top to bottom because it's one thing you you notice about the really good countries there is a very much a unity of of purpose whether it's in federation and clubs and obviously everyone has their own interests and slices of the pie but it, it seems like there's a cultural positive in the countries that do well like australia yeah i mean I guess coming from Melbourne, you're sort of fortunate because it's like we say, it's the sporting capital of the world. You've got everything, you know. So I think Sydney says that, and so Brisbane says that. Yeah, as they, well, don't they they? Would. They, yeah they would. They would. But no. So I mean, Australians in general are very competitive and and they're very proud of their culture. So anything you sort of jump into, whether it be football, rugby, basketball, netball, anything, you've got a pathway to succeed, which is really good. And I, I'm I'm not sure a lot of other countries have that where you could sort of pick whatever you want and then you could flourish in it, you know? So I am very fortunate to sort of come up that way. But if I had to chose another sport, you would have had the exact same bring up, you know, where you could sort of follow all the channels and then get to where you want to. So I think the systems in general, whether it be sport or education, anything is really set up to, to help people develop. I mean, you must have crossed paths with some of those um, future NBA players coming through the ranks. 
Yeah, I mean, I played uh, Matthew Delavadova for my state. We're, we're, we're both from the state. And Ryan Brokoff, who played in the NBA last year. And then when I was in the NBL, it was when the lockout season was on. So Paddy Mills signed for our team. And I've played against, a, a, I mean, a lot of those guys. You know, I could I could name them all. But personally, like, I've, I've played with, you know, Delhi and, um, and, and, and Riyadi, Ryan Brokoff a lot. So... Yeah, it's, it's probably fortunate to learn from them when I was younger as well. You know, there's probably not that many people that can say they were teammates with NBA guys, you know, so it's it's it's, it's something pretty cool. Paddy Mills, I mean, one of my favourite players in, you know, in, in the NBA of the last last decade. Um, um, what a guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a talent, isn't he? We had a, we had a training one day and he, he landed on my foot and rolled his ankle and I was just like, what have I done here? You know, <laughs> like I thought I was, I've injured Australia's best player. I think I made the shot as well. And I was like feeling great about myself because I just scored on Paddy Mills and he's on the ground holding his ankle. I was like, oh my goodness, like what have I what have I done? <laughs> There's this next you know, $30 million contract down the drain. Yeah. Just from my <laughs> <one> practice. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean that that kind of environment coming into um because we always think about you know the better competition you get early, the, the more you can improve, the more it more it toughens you up. How much is there a deliberate attempt there to make sure the best players play against the best players of each age group on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, you have you have each year sort of a, I guess you'd call it a carnival where you represent your state. So we have obviously however many states and, and that's sort of the pinnacle. If you can play for your state, then from there you get picked to play for the national team. So I was fortunate enough to play... Uh, five of the six years for my state that you're eligible to play. I think I missed out my first year and then I made the next five. So obviously when you're doing that each year, you get to see where you stand, not only in your state, but then in Australia as a whole, and then you can get picked for Australian teams. So we have just, it's just the pathway where you know where you stand at all times. And if you're not where you need to be, you know that in a year's time, you can change that, you know? So it's, it's a very healthy setup and it's something that I think kids are really flourishing in. Does, does it help? immensely that idea of having role models because you know if you in this country yeah we have had NBA players but you know they're not household names never have been that's just unfortunate the way our country country is but in Australia these are guys are big names and you, even if you go back to guys like Andrew Gaze you know they there were people every you know the man in the street in Australia the woman in the street in Australia knew I mean even on the women's side I mean fantastic players like Liz Cambage who Australia pinch from the UK but you know that, that's fine you know these, these things happen but and does that sort of help when you're a kid and you, you're thinking about what sport you might want to go and what sport you might want to achieve in and there's you can turn on the television and go online and there's you can go there's one of my people they've made it yeah, well, I mean, I guess when I was younger, it was like when I was probably under 10, the NBL back home was really big, you know, so my my idols per se were already in my own country, you know, whereas now it's sort of like everyone wants to be an NBA player and wants to look up to that. But I think the NBA now is getting back to that point where people are wanting to play in the NBL rather than playing in the NBA, which is crazy, you know, but it's fantastic for Australian basketball. So when I was younger, like I only had to drive to watch a game to see who I was looking up to. Everyone loves the NBA and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, but my own idols were at my own club and were at my own state. So it was pretty fortunate to see firsthand what it looks like. And then it gives you something to, to strive for because you don't have to stay up till three in the morning trying to watch a game on TV. You can just go to any old game and you, and, and it's right there in front of you. I mean, most people won't be aware of the, the, the kind of renaissance of the NBL, you know, effectively it moved to a single owner model of a few years ago, big investment into it, you know, promotion, 
links with you know, with America to try and you know bring in young American talent who are too young to be drafted. You know, lots of exemptions and rules created for that. And the league, I remember when the league, when the BBL was big, the NBA was big, and obviously there was some cross ownership between British clubs and Australian clubs. It's really taken off again. Yeah, I mean they had a. I guess they had sort of a revamp, maybe the uh, early 2010s, where it was sort of they weren't getting the interest and the crowd and the the TV numbers. I'm not even sure if if they had it on TV for a certain amount of time. You know, they sort of took a step back and said, "What do we need to do?" Similar to the A League, which is our soccer back home, they sort of rebranded, and I think the NBL took a, I guess, a leaf out of their book to sort of do the same thing. And now you think, if that was six years ago, six years later, you've got NBA draftees coming down, you've got projected lottery picks like Lamello ball you've got a league where it's it's featured everywhere you know so that's sort of going back to what i'm saying where australian kids like you only have to look in your own backyard now to to look at premier players and then having a career in australia is a is something that people want to actually achieve now instead of trying to go abroad to to chase that is that i mean you know, I remember growing up, going to watch my local team, and it was the thing that got me into basketball. And you know, this this country, yeah, you know, there's lots of people who love basketball who don't come and watch the BBL. What's what's the one thing if you can pick out that the NBL has done that we should learn from? I think just 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 the whole branding in a whole. I think they do it very professionally with uh, the social media, with how they're looking after their players, with. I guess in the BBL, there's a, it's sort of a shorter stint. So there's a lot of chopping and changing. Whereas in Australia, you've sort of got a set, a set number of guys and they're, they're not, it's not a whole bunch of fresh faces, you know? So it's easy for people to look in and, and follow someone's career all the way through. Whereas in the BBL, it's like, you've got a new guy every week on different teams, you know? So I just think our product back home is set up to, to, for the longevity, whereas the BBL is probably not at that point yet where, you've got so many different guys changing all the time, but I think the BBL has took, I, I guess when I've been in it has took massive steps forward to sort of get to that level, but it's just, unfortunately, Australia is just such a high level right now that it's, it's, it's hard to compare the two, you know? I mean, you're fortunate you're at the club that does the social media quite well. So you know, they do. That, at least that's one plus <laughs> big shout out to, to Joel Osborne in that one. Um, you came through at Melbourne Tigers, you know, very famous club um, back in the day. I, what, what was it that they did with you on a daily, weekly basis to nurture you? Yeah, well, I mean, I was a development player. So I guess to make that make sense over here, I guess I was like a, just a training player, I guess. And I was on the end of the bench, you know, so you sort of have your 10 rostered guys and then you have two to three development players that uh, you basically nurtured for the future. You know, you're, you're on the payroll per se, but really you're there to just put up the numbers in training and, and try and build from there. So, I mean, every day we're in there working, you've got uh, shooting, you've got weights, you've got people help you eat right. You've got, you've got a whole setup of things where it's almost impossible to fail, you know, like, and if you do, that's very much on you rather than on the club because they set you up in such a way that once you're in the door, it's very hard to fall out of it, you know? So I spent a year there and then unfortunately I did my Achilles and, and, and they released me, but in that year, I got to go up against seasoned professionals who have played all over Europe, played for Australia Boomers, obviously Paddy Mills. It's like, it's it's almost invaluable the uh, the amount that I got to learn in in a space of probably ten months. 
And your Achilles injury, I mean, incredibly unfortunate. You're playing in the, the, the SEBL, which is sort of the state league. It's, I, can't, I always get confused if it's our summer or your summer, but I off-season league. Yeah, the summer. Summer. <laughs> um, what happens? Yeah, well, I mean, I, that, that, that week in general was just the craziest because I was trying to get my British passport um, during that time. So I'd, so I'd applied for it. And in that same week, Melbourne Tigers had offered me to come back for the next season as a development player. So I was just like, this is, this is the best week of my life. I've got my, my British passport. I've got a job in the NBL. Like, this is fantastic. And I think on the Thursday, I re-signed with the Tigers. Um, and on that Monday, I got my passport. And then on the Sunday in the fourth quarter, I just shot a foul shot, walked back, took a step to go forward. And then my whole world changed basically in a space of a second, you know, I just, I heard this pop and then I, I looked behind me thinking someone was, was kicking me. And like, I guess everyone says that, you know, that same thing, but I think the next probably 10 to 12 months of my life was just completely different to what that week was building up towards, you know? How was the recovery process? Cause Achilles, as we've seen from people like Clay Thompson, you know, it's, it's not the sort of thing that, you know, you get repaired and then you're back on the court two weeks later. Yeah, no, it's very difficult. I mean, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. It's, it's, it goes really quick to start and then you plateau and then it just feels like you're doing calf raises or trying to do a calf raise and stretching for, for months. You know, I think my first eight weeks, I was just in a cast and I couldn't do anything. I was just sitting there and then they take you out of it and then slowly raise your foot up. And it's just, I don't think I felt proper until about 15 months afterwards but I was back playing in about 12 months. So it's a long, it's a long process, you know, even today, like I don't, I'm, I'm probably not as quick as I was back then. Obviously I'm 30 now and I was 20 then. So that's, that's probably got something to do with it, but it's just, it's very difficult to get the exact same push and the exact same, I guess, athleticism afterwards, because it's a, it's a major surgery. How, are you, how what's the mental effect of that? Cause we always think about the physical impact, but you know, we're much more aware of how mentally, traumatizing and challenging these things can be yeah it was very difficult I, I hit some dark places during that that time because at the start I was like I'm gonna attack it attack it and I'm I'm gonna be back sooner than what they're all saying you know and then you get to like the three month point and you're like I've been doing this for three months and I haven't really got anywhere and you can't really see the end end line because you you can't even walk properly you have to teach yourself all that again so I got to a point where I didn't even know if I wanted to play basketball anymore I was like is this is this what I want if could this happen again and then you you, you get through it you build up some confidence and then when you get back playing you're like scared to do the same movements that you once did because you're trying to protect yourself so even just running up and down like if I was running backwards to try and then push off to run forwards I'd have to basically do a circle because I was too scared to push off that foot I just had sort of nightmares about it you know so that took probably a few weeks just to get some sort of confidence so it's constant battles while you're still just trying to heal your leg so it's a it's a whole mind game and then it's physical mental everything what wins that mind game eventually? Is, is it just getting through it? Or, you know, was there things that you had to kind of techniques that you had to use to, to convince yourself that, hey, I'm actually okay here? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw as uh, my club in the in the SEABL, Sandringham, we had a sports psychologist at the time, which really helped me. So when I was probably about six months in, he was just talking to me about what to expect and how I felt. And then when I started playing again, it was the same thing. I was telling him my worries and I got to bounce off that. And I'd never really spoke to anyone about sort of mental issues or what I was thinking about until that time. And that really helped me. So he sort of 
helped me express how I felt and get it to a point where the stuff that I was doing on the court became second nature again, instead of me trying to think through every movement that I was doing. So it probably, it probably took less time than what it would have if I didn't go and see anyone, but it definitely helped because I, I, I sort of got that, got that thing back where you're confident all the time and you're not really, you know, thinking about every movement that you're doing. Is that a useful thing that sports psychology, because you know, obviously lots, more, lots of people use it and top level athletes, Olympic athletes. I mean, does, does it give you a greater awareness of how you deal with the ebbs and flows of a basketball career, even when you're back healthy again? Yeah, I mean, I think so, because I mean, I've had a few in the past that have been a bit up and down, but if, if you as the individual, as the player, really buy into it and really trust the person that you're talking to, then you can flourish with it. But if you've got your, I don't know, like your reservations for it and you're not fully invested, then you're probably not going to get as much out of it as what anyone else would. But I, I was at the point in time when I used it and I still use them today. Like if I, I have the same guy that I reach out to, you know, so I was at that point in time where I felt like I had nothing else. I, I had to fully invest something to try and get back what I wanted to do. So I probably got the full benefits out of it. But for anyone that hasn't, that hasn't used one, any athletes or any young kid, it do, doesn't really matter how old you are, you know, just to bounce some ideas and how you feel off someone can really be beneficial. What are the, I mean, what's the biggest learnings? I mean, if, if there's things that you could share, I mean, what, what advice would you give to people and other players to kind of be, mentally i don't want to say tougher but you know stronger and more resilient probably yeah i mean it's it's difficult because like when i was younger i was way more brash with my decisions and my emotions you know like i sort of was like a roller coaster sometimes where i'd be up and down if i turned the ball over i'd be so upset and if i made a shot i'd be like i'm the man you know this is fantastic but i think when you when you mature and then when you play more basketball you're able to find sort of a middle ground where the highs aren't too high and the lows aren't too low you know you still got to enjoy all the good moments but at the same time just because i play one bad game doesn't make me a bad basketball player and if i play the best game i've ever played that's it's it's very difficult to keep that level you know you've got to find a middle ground where you're comfortable and where you're not letting a basketball game affects your everyday life because it's very easy to play bad on a Sunday and then on Thursday you're still thinking about it, you know, and that's just not healthy for anybody, you know. So it takes a little bit of time, but you've got to trust yourself that that you're skilled enough to be able to keep doing this consistently. And I think with consistency comes a mindset where you're not freaking out all the time over over bad games or good games, you know. I mean, what is and this this may skip forward a bit, but what's been your best ever game? Yeah, see, I don't know. I mean, I've had a few. I guess in a BBL, I've probably had ones where I've had large number of assists, I guess. I don't know. But I, I, off the top of my head, I don't really know. It's just, I think, more ones where we, we beat big teams that, that I look back to. I don't even know what my stats are in, in those games, but it's just more the enjoyment of it, you know? I don't really get that much out of having a great game and losing because I'm upset all the way back on a road trip. So I'd like to, like to get around the boys and get a win. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of confidence issues, as you said, coming out of that Achilles. And I guess you came to Reading Rockets, you know, from Australia, you know, capitalising on your dad's citizenship. How much of that year was the redemption story? Yeah, it was big time. Like, I, I don't think many people know, really, but I flew myself out and I wasn't even getting paid to play basketball. Like, I... I paid rent to live 
in Reading. So it's like I, I almost took financially, I took a step back just to try and get myself back on the basketball court again. So it was a massive thing where I was just like, I'm going to do this because I, I know at my, at my pure happiness, I love playing basketball. So I want to get back to that. So I just thought I'll bet on myself for, for one year. I'll see if I like it. There's no point getting this British passport if I'm never going to explore it because I put in a whole bunch of work to try and get it, you know? So um, when I went over there, I just, I just enjoyed no one knowing who I was and I could just go out and play basketball and get to know people and just have fun again, because it got to a point where basketball, I wanted to reach the highest peak in Australia so bad that I wasn't enjoying it as much. Whereas when I got to England, it was like, this is fun again, you know, like I can, I can just play my own game and enjoy it. It's a whole new lifestyle, whole new people, whole new world really, you know? So I got there and I, and I really enjoyed you know, the one year obviously had a good season. We won a lot, so it sort of helped. But, yeah, I just wanted to get back to sort of where I was before the Achilles in my mindset to try and to try and get back on track. And people say if I wasn't getting paid for it, I'd have gone somewhere cheaper to live than Reading. You know, to sign for Teesside <laughs> or something like that. But, I mean, yeah. did, did you do any other job that year or was it just a case of, you know, living off the savings and having a good time? So, yeah, no, so I, I coach for the club. So that's sort of how I basically whatever I earned coaching was sort of split because I had to pay rent. So then it, it really wasn't a great financial decision. Looking back, I was like, what was I thinking? You know, but it sort of worked <laughs> out all right because I've made a career in the BBL now. I mean, you got obviously the move on to Plymouth. Yeah, and that's kind of, I guess, where you know, people saw you in the, in the spotlight again as a player. I mean, how, how did you find coming into the BBL? in comparison to how you, you know, what you'd seen in Australia and the experience? I mean, did it feel like a, a natural fit? Uh, I mean, our, our state leagues are sort of very similar to the, to the BBL standard, you know? So I knew, I guess, when I was at Reading, and obviously at Reading you play preseason games and you play the cup games or whatever it was at the time against BBL. So I sort of knew the standard, but when I got to the BBL, I didn't realise how how much quicker of a pace it was. And, and, and the athletes were a little bit more quicker than the EBR. They were a little more athletic. They were a little taller. You know, it was just, it, it is definitely a step up. So I think my first couple of months, it probably took a little bit of an adjustment because I'm not the quickest. I'm not going to jump the highest, but I had to work out a way where I could still be successful playing my own game in a level that was probably higher than I'd ever played before, you know? So I think I worked that out, but it's, it's it's funny because I look back and I think, was I really ready to make that jump immediately? But I think I just sort of ran with it, you know? Is there a, is there a dif difference being a point guard in, in this league to a lot of leagues? And particularly, you know, in Australia where, you know, players are coached very well from a very young age. And you're coming in here and it is more of a freelance league. It's more of a run and gun league. You know, it's, it's a league where there's less about the plays and more about adjustments on the fly i mean having your background and your education is there an adjustment into succeeding in a league like the bbl it was because i because growing up like i was a i was sort of a mix between a scorer and a pass first point guard but then when i got to reading i was just scoring all the time because that's sort of what we needed and in the bbl the point guard position is very ball dominant and you've sort of you're sort of the one that makes the decisions nearly every time down the court because most teams recruit a really good point guard and then sort of just go from there. So 
point guards have massive numbers in the BBL. They score a lot. And, and when I got to the BBL, that just wasn't me. Like I wasn't comfortable trying to score 20 points, score 15 points. I thought my ceiling was maybe 10, you know? So I had to sort of tell myself to, to be a little bit more aggressive because the guys that I was playing against, it felt like they were just coming at me the whole time. And I'm, I feel like I wasn't going back at them because that just wasn't my natural game, you know? So once I sort of worked out that, if I have the ball to try and keep being more aggressive, I think I got a little bit more comfortable within the league. How do you, um, what's it like playing in Plymouth? Because I guess the worst thing that everyone's always going to say is bus trips. Yeah. I mean, the bus trips are horrendous. There's no, there's no hide in that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a blessing being, even though it's only two hours up the road from Plymouth in Bristol, but the bus trips are not, not as bad up here. But I mean, I loved Plymouth because you, you feel like a celebrity, you know, like it's, it's us. And then, (laughs) Um, and then the the football team, but I think people sort of split their fandom between the two teams. So you feel like you're you're somebody, you know. And 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 the town centre is only sort of small, so you're walking through town and people stop you and say hi and take photos with their kids when you're just in street clothes. Like it's a pretty cool lifestyle. So if anyone gets a chance to play there, I, I definitely would because the fan the fandom that you get there is fantastic. What convinced you to move to Bristol? Other than you know, two year deal is always nice, but was you know, was there yeah. a, a, a chief factor in deciding to switch yeah well my wife's work um is in bristol so she was moving up here and her her dad's actually from bristol so they've they've just moved to chepstow i think last week actually so that's only 20 minute drive so and her sister also lives up here so it just it makes sense for sure so and i've also known andrea since the reading days which is six or so years ago so there was a connection there and it just made sense so hopefully now that i'm fit i can sort of help them out a little bit more do you guys feel like i mean in the second half of the season i mean obviously it's been interrupted everyone's had interruptions you know and that's that's presented as challenges but are you guys feeling that you're one of those teams that could make a run here late on you know playoffs or or you know push up because you know the middle of that table is pretty congested yeah, I did definitely. I mean, March is going to be a massive month because we've got a lot of games against teams that are basically next to us or a little bit above, a little bit below us on the table. So if we can get a little winning streak, I mean, we've won two in a row now, but it's a shame that the uh, the guys went down this week to have a missed a couple of days. But if we can win the next couple of games, I think we've got three games coming up against teams that, that are right next to us. So if you can get a few wins there, then the table looks completely different. And I think we've had we've had a lot of injuries this year and, and hopefully touch wood that next week, which will be the middle of March will be the first time that we've actually had a full team on the court this whole season, which is just wild compared, you know, like it's very rare that you'd say you get your full team together in March for the first time. So hopefully that means that we can sort of kick on a little bit and start to challenge these, these better teams in the league. I mean, off the court, I mean, I see the players, you know, have a better time to spend. Yeah. How do you unwind away from basketball? Yeah, I mean, I read a lot, Netflix, YouTube, all the good stuff. You know, I'm sure basketball players are pretty similar. I'm not, I'm not that big of a gamer, so I don't really, don't really play too much. But, I mean, a lot of the time you sort of just want to sit down after training, depending what your week's like. So there's not really, it's not really that, uh, that exciting, I guess, being a basketball player. Although, according to your Instagram, you are a, a, a wine connoisseur. Yeah, big time. Big time. Love me a glass of red. Yeah. And is, is it Australian's only or now you're in europe are you, you know scoffing up the you know the french and spanish wines I and mean, where you know, yeah what's, what's the no, whatever whatever if it's red and it's in a <laughs> wine bottle then I'll, I'll find a way to drink it on it 
Here is me thinking you're going to come out with some. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of Chateauneuf du Parc, or you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm much more a Rhone guy than a yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I have my favourites, but but no, if it's red and it's in a bottle on on, on the right day, it's going to find its way to me. Hi, <laughs> um, and we start off saying obviously the thirtieth birthday. I mean, how much longer do you see yourself playing? Yeah, I don't know. Eh? I, I I've always said that I want to I want to play as long as I enjoy it. You know, so right now I'm enjoying basketball. So as long as I, I get up every day wanting to train and wanting to play, then I, then I think I'm going to do it. But if, if I ever lose that, that fight or, or, I, or I know that I can't give 100%, then I, I just don't see a point. So as of right now, I'm enjoying basketball and, and obviously with injuries, it sucks, but you're sort of getting back to where you were. So it's, it, it, it enables me to feel good again. So as long as I keep feeling like this, then hopefully I'll be like a Drew Lasker and play until I'm well, I'm 50. <laughs> well, he's not got long to go to. He's 50. Yeah, said that. <laughs> I mean, is there a career after basketball in mind already? Yeah, so I want to be a police officer. So I've sort of started the uh, the stages in that um, to apply. So hopefully that'll sort of link up to when I'm ready to to finish basketball. So that's something that PC Wiltshire could be out in the out in the streets, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> On patrol. Why? Where's the interest in that come from? I've just always wanted to be able since I was little, I had two, two loves basically. And that was to be a police officer and to play basketball. And I feel like I've ticked one. So I guess if I can, and that's, that's sort of the next step in my life that I want to, that I want to achieve. I was trying to think of a famous Australian TV cop show, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Blue Heelitz. Blue Heelitz. There you go. That's, that's the one. That's Blue Heelitz is the one. I think that's probably what it is that, that got me into it. I used to watch that all the time when I was like eight years old, I think. <laughs> Sorry, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a flying doctor. I haven't watched that because it seemed quite exotic. Oh, but there you go. Yeah. I'm neither <laughs> good at flying or being a doctor. <laughs> anyway, Josh... Um, Good luck with everything for the rest of the season. Um, hope hope the injuries stay free and uh, look forward to seeing you in the beat before too long. But um, keep doing what you're doing and thanks for joining us. Beautiful. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That is it for this edition of the MVP cast brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Search, search for them on Google or give them a follow on social media at TE Compliance Limited. You can go all our previous editions at MVP247.com. You can get all your basketball news there as well. If you want to sign up for our new post-up newsletter, get all your uh, exclusive features by email, do so on the website as well. Or if you want to get in touch with me, reach out via Twitter at Mark Brutal. Another edition of the MVP cast coming very soon. But for now, thank you so much for listening. It's bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>